Today, as we think about fathers, uh, I try to line up the series with Joshua on this idea of legacy. What does it mean? Oh, is it, it works. I have it. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Um, what does it mean to have a spiritual legacy, and what is a father's unique contribution to the family? and to the church. And so just to summarize, Joshua has been commissioned to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. They've scouted out the first stronghold, the city of Jericho, and now they stand, the, the entire nation stands at the shores of, of the Jordan River, and they're ready to cross over into the promised land and begin. And Joshua chapter 3 tells us that this was the time of the barley harvest, that the river, that the Jordan River was at flood stage. Now, when we look at this and we think about this, we think, wow, this is like spiritual warfare. It's like of all the times that we're going to go across the river and, and do this, it's the worst time to cross the river. Uh, I just want to show you on, the, on this, um, this slide here. Go ahead and, and play it. Play the video. Just push the play. Now, the, oops. Next, no, go back and push play. This is the river at um, regular tide, what it's normally like. And, and this is the river at high tide, or at, at flood stage. And it's quite a difference if you look at, um, and this is not even, if you look at the river, it's not even all the way up to, to the flood stage. So it really does make a big difference in terms of you know, the timing or, or what's happening here. You can imagine that if you're a father, you have you know, your 10-year-old uh, running around, your three-year-old you're holding on to, and your wife holding your child, you're holding your newborn, and everybody starts walking towards this river. And you're like, you know, it's full flood stage. You don't really know. There's no bridge or anything like that. And, and God says, just walk towards this river. And the minute the priest carrying the ark touched the waters, the water stops flowing. And this turns into just dry land. And you walk across with your children, with your family. And when you get to the other side, the river starts rushing again like this and you look back and go okay this is it you know there's no basically God's kind of saying there's no turning back once you take this step of faith and you walk through this you know I've opened this door for you your your parents or your 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 forefathers chose not to cross chose not to go into this place and they were afraid of what would happen and you now it's your turn to lead they walk in through this miracle and now the river behind them shuts up uh, is, is, is flowing again, and they're like, okay, this is, this is it. We're committed. We're committed to whatever God now is going to do through us and with us as we go into this land. And so basically now you're beginning this new life, and today we want to look at this idea of legacy. What is the, what is the unique contribution that we as men uh, really can give to our families and really to the church? I'd like you to turn me to Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. And shall we stand in reverence for the word of God? And it says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one of each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and from the right, where the right where the priests stood and carry them over with you and put them down to the place where you stay tonight. 
And so Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark your Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes in Israel, to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, as God had told Joshua. They carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. And Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to see really the role of, the, of a godly father is indispensable to the family and to the church. And really, what does this mean? What does this mean to us, not just as fathers, but as men who perhaps someday God will uh, uh, make us fathers? Now, the first thing we want to look at is really the value of legacy. Now, everybody wants legacy. But for men in particular, a legacy is something that really resonates with us. When I shared the gospel with my father when I was very young, uh, and again, when you're young, you just say anything to your dad, and you're not afraid. And I said, but dad, don't you worry about what happens when you die? Don't you want to go to heaven? You don't want to go to hell, dad. You know, I, I'm just very open. And my dad, I remember what my dad said. He said, Harrison, the only thing that matters for a father uh, is his family. And he said, if my family's okay, if you and your sisters are okay, then it really doesn't matter what happens to me after I die. That's what my father said. Now, my father's not a Christian. He's still not a Christian. And I really believe that when he said that, it was not really an excuse. It was really my father's sentiment. My father, uh, uh, as most fathers, are concerned about a legacy. They're concerned about, you know, whether it's family, whether it's accomplishment, whether it's a name, whether it's a reputation. It's kind of a, a guy thing. That, that, that as men, we want to look back on the years of our lives and feel that it has not been wasted or that we've accomplished very little. It's, it's one of kind of the great fears that we have as proud men, that we want to say that our life actually counted for something. See, legacy is about something that lasts. I remember... Uh, my dad, when I was young, he used to drive me around the city of Oakland, and he would show me all the buildings. My father's an architect, and uh, he showed me all the buildings that he had built in the city. And every time I go to Oakland Chinatown, on Webster and 10th, right in the center of Oakland Chinatown, there's this three-story building. It used to be called the Silver Dragon Restaurant. That's what it's here. But now it's actually the Asian Health Services, which provides affordable health care for the community. And I look at that, and, and, and this, regardless of what it's used for, I would always look at this building and, 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 you, and I would say, you know, this building is here um, because of my father. And as a, at a very young age, I mean, this is when I was young. I mean, I remember sitting in his office, watching him design this building, you know, doing the facade, the very unique facade. And, um, and it instilled in my heart the sense of, of when I grow up, I want to do something that remains, something that, that I can point to and say, that's my work 
for my life. Um, this is what I leave behind. And, and, and that I made a difference. And that's really was instilled in my heart. Of, and that's part of what led me to architecture actually at a, at a very young age. I said, I want to be an architect because I want to be able to go and point buildings to my son and say, this is because of your dad. This is what I did. Um, in verse 1, uh, Joshua speaks again about this idea of legacy. In verse one, he says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people of each tribe. And he's, he talks about, you know, put, take these stones and, and put them from the middle of the Jordan, put them on the other side. And if you look at verse nine, Joshua set up the 12 stones. And the very last phrase, it says, and they are there to this day. Those very stones are there to this day, meaning when you, as the people who are reading this book, you know, many, many years later, uh, they'll say, oh, I can go back and find these stones that were placed there at way back that time when, when the people crossed the Jordan. See, this is a legacy statement. See, these are stones, you, when you pick them up and you put them on the other side, they're going to be there for generations even after you pass away, even after your children pass away, these stones will still be there. And if, I would imagine if, if, if Joshua was looking for volunteers to say, um, who wants to go and grab one of these stones that, that as men, we wouldn't say, oh man, that's a lot of work. I don't want to carry a stone. I'll let my wife do it. She's, she's better at those things. She picks stones better than I do. Uh, I'll let her do it. No, I mean, man, we'd be climbing over ourselves trying to be that guy, right? We'd want to be that guy that has the opportunity to participate in a pivotal moment in the history of our nation. That's what men want. We want a legacy. We want something that lasts. And here's what the thing that God says to every person here, particularly young men and old men alike. He says, yes, you will leave a legacy. But the question is, will it be one that matters? I mean, do you want to leave behind those good things that make a difference for the kingdom of God, that make your children and their children better because of who you are and what you did? And, and this is the idea of legacy. And, and so the next question becomes, how does this happen? How do we leave a godly legacy? So even if you're not a father, this is very important to be thinking about this right now. I mean, some of you young people here, the guys here, and, and you're you know, like 15, 16, you're saying, well, why do I need to worry about this? I'm thinking about my dad, his legacy. I'm just trying to figure out you know, where I'm going to go, what I want to do. But you know what? You don't suddenly become a godly man once you become a father. Okay? It's not like I'm going to wait till I'm a dad before I think about what type of legacy I want to leave. No. Um, we begin that journey right now as to who we choose to be and what we choose to be as young men, as single men right now. That's going to be a part of what your legacy will be in the future. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're thinking, well, my kids are infants. They don't even, you know, they don't even understand uh, what I'm saying. They don't even, you know, talk right now. But, you know, uh, even as toddlers and infants, you make an indelible mark upon your children, which which is probably the most important, some people say it's the most important stage. It, when, the, when, the kids are, when your kids are only one, two years old, would you hold them, what type of example you set? Uh, sometimes we say, well, I have teenagers and their main form of communication is you know, grunts and eye rolls. And I can't get a word in, I don't say anything. They don't wanna listen to anything I say. But they are listening, they're watching 
my kids will still say things about what I did and what I said when they were living in the house before they moved out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you remember that? And they go, oh yeah, we remember that, of course, you know. Um, even when our kids are outside of the house and they have families of their own, maybe they have families of their own right now, you still, as a father, play a tremendous role in terms of your example, your lasting example. You're always going to be ahead of them. I mean, you're, you're never going to fall behind them. You're always going to be ahead of them. Your stage of life will always be ahead of your children. So you always have a legacy, uh, uh, something for your children, something for your family uh, to leave this godly legacy uh, that God is forming in the lives of your children. And so Joshua says to um, the Israelites again in verse 5, he says, go over uh, before the ark, uh, take up a stone serve at, that will serve as a sign among you. And then in verse 17, this is and the next verse, verse 6, is very important. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are a memorial to the people of Israel forever. What Joshua is saying, he says, in the future, your children are going to ask you. Now, what this says to me is it's not enough just to carry the stones across the river. Okay, because as men, we're kind of like, hey, you know, I did the heavy work. I'm the one that took the stones and put them on the other side. So, you know, let somebody else tell them what this means. But no, Joshua says, in the future generations, how will the generations know what these stones actually meant if you do not say and speak about what God has done? God is very clear. He says, when they ask you, you must tell them. You must tell them. And he even tells them what you're supposed to say. And so there's this sense here when we think about leaving a, a godly legacy, there's some practical elements of spiritual legacy right here. And I really want to talk again to fathers. First of all, fathers, we need to know what to say. Meaning, we need to know our scriptures. We need to know the Bible. We need to be filled with the wisdom of God and the truth of God. When your children ask of you something regarding God's word or God's wisdom, we as fathers cannot say, go ask Pastor Kirk. <laughs> go ask your mother. We have to give the answer. We have to be the ones who give the answer. Otherwise, our children will be in the habit of anytime there's something spiritual, anytime there's something to do with God's word, uh, uh, they're going to go somewhere else. They're going to go to uh, uh, mom or somebody else to, to find the answer. And we may, as fathers, say, well, I'm the silent type. You know, I don't really, I'm not that teacher. That's not my gift. You know, uh, my wife is so much better at spiritual teaching. Well, we praise God that we have wives that are so godly. But yet, God says we, as men, we say, well, I'll just set the quiet example of a godly father. No, God says, no, that's not, that's not just the quiet example of a godly father. That's not biblical. Men, we have to talk. We have to speak. You have to be able to speak those things that instruct your sons and your daughters. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. It doesn't say, Hear, my son, just look at what your father does. Don't have to worry about his words. No, you listen to your father's instructions. We've got to talk. 
If your kid needs help, if your son and your daughter comes and needs help for Sunday school homework, we should be able to be the ones to help them and let them know, hey, this is, um, this is, this is what this means. I remember Lauren, when she was really little, she had this picture, she brought it home, and I said, oh, what's that, Lauren? She goes, oh, this is one of Jesus' miracles. I go, well, which one is it? Oh, this is the one when Jesus was sick. <laughs> Wait a minute, is that a miracle? You know, she's, oh, I said, no, you mean the sick person. She goes, oh, you know, so again, little, little things. That we, may, we could just say, oh, that's, that's nice, sweetheart. Jesus is sick. No, I'll, no, you say, no, the, Jesus wasn't sick. Uh, Jesus was never sick. He's perfect. He's probably the sick man. So there's, there's all these little opportunities when we really have to know God's word. And, and the second thing, it says, you know, when they ask, meaning, meaning it's not like they listen when I want to speak. It's like I speak when they ask. Meaning, I need to be ready at any time to answer my children when they ask a question that has spiritual implications. It's more than just, you know, sitting down and doing family devotions. Okay, as fathers, one of the most important things we do is family devotions. We set that example to say, Daddy says it's time to sit and study God's word together. But, you know, that's not all we do. We have to be ready to, to be sharing God's word at every moment. When we're sitting at home watching the news and the gay pride comes on and we cover our children's eyes and don't watch that and our children say, what's that mean? What's gay pride? What is this? Okay, as fathers, we don't say, oh, well, don't, don't worry about that. No, we, we need to have an answer. We need to be able to say, this is what God says about what it means to, to, to be a husband and wife or what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a girl. When your child is hurt or bullied and they come home weeping or crying and your wife is trying to console them, as fathers, what spiritual truth are you going to share with them that evening about what they went through? Or are you just gonna ignore it and say, well, mom took care of it? No. When your daughter starts liking a certain guy, are you gonna tell them about what what the Bible says about godly men. What you say and how you respond is something that your children remember, fathers, men. If you don't say anything, they will remember that too. Too many fathers, godly fathers, are cruising on your wife's spiritual example. God bless our wives their particular love for Jesus, their wisdom and insight and love. We praise God that God has given them things and insight that we don't have. But Father, but fathers, God says, as fathers, we also need to be the example. We also need to have those spirit-led answers for the important questions in life. Otherwise, if we do not speak, those stones just become a pile of stones. They're nothing, they're meaningless. They're, they're, they're no different from any other stone. On that side of the Jordan, if we don't speak. And that's why as men of God, we must be men who love Jesus more than anything else. Who, who show it not just in our actions, but in our words. That we are ready to speak at any time. To exemplify the wisdom that comes from God. You know, a lot of times we come home and, and it's like, Mom, well, she's the more talkative one. Uh, you know, and Dad, when he speaks, it's like he only speaks when it's really serious. You know, and, you know Mom's all the talkative one, but boy, when Dad speaks, it's like, oh, 
This is real serious because dad has something to say. You have the last word. Okay, if you have the last word, fathers, it better be spiritual. It better be something that's informed by God's words. It better be the very words of God. If your children and your family are going to look to you and mommy says, hey, it's up to your father. When daddy comes home, he's going to decide on this. I'm going to talk to daddy about this. Uh, uh, you better come home saying, don't say, whatever you say, hon, it's okay. I know I'm too tired. You know, I've had a lot of work. You figure it out. No, we say, okay, let me sit down, share with me, and, uh, and, and you show that godly wisdom, that discernment, so that, that again, you as a father, you show, hey, this is, God is a part of this too. Dad is a part of this too. Dad is the one who says, uh, this, is, this is it. This is God's word. This is what happens. And so we look at this, and, and again, this, there's a lot of things here, but uh, when we look at this legacy of faithfulness, what is it, again, as a father, that we can contribute specifically to the family? Um, why is it that, that, that we need fathers as well as mothers? Why is it that, that we need fathers, not just uh, fathers, but, I mean, not just uh, youth pastors and counselors and things like that, but we need fathers. We may say, fathers may say, well, but, you know, um, I didn't grow up in a church. I don't know that much about God's word. That's okay. Study God's word. Get to know God's word. Attend life Bible classes. Life Bible classes, that's all we do. We go through God's word so that you know your scripture. When, you, when your child is talking about what they learned in Sunday school, you could talk about what you learned in Sunday school. These are the things that a father does. Um, fathers may say, well, my wife knows the Bible so much better than I do. My wife, she's been a Christian longer than I do, than I have. Uh, Pastor Kirk, he, he knows the scripture so much better. He knows so much about the youth. The youth counselors can connect so much better you know and we say as fathers I don't know what's going viral right now I can't talk about you know OMG and BYB I don't say those things I don't know who Cardi B is and and you know I'm not going to sit down and say oh who would win uh, a fight uh, uh, Justin Bieber or uh, uh, who is it Tom Cruise you know things like that I don't care about those things but that's not what we need that's not what the, our children need from a father. They could talk about that in youth group. You know, they talk about that with, you know, with Spencer and with, with others saying, who do you think will, will win? Justin Bieber or Tom Cruise, you know, if it ever happens. But um, that's not what you talk about. That's not what you talk about with your father. Your father. You talk about other things. Uh, when, when Lauren had a Biola friend over to stay with us, well, when Rita was gone, she, Lauren of all times chose for a friend to come and stay over while Rita's gone. I'm like, oh gosh. Lauren, please, don't make a mess. Don't cook anything, please. Because <laughs> the kitchen's got to stay the way it is until Rita comes home. <laughs> and so it's funny, though, but her Biola friend was coming, and she's just hanging out, hanging out. And I'm just sitting there eating a sandwich, and her friend goes, oh, my gosh, Lauren, that's where you get it. Dad, your dad does the same thing. And I'm like, I'm just eating a sandwich, you know? And then even yesterday, when, or Thursday, I was at, with, uh, with Lauren, and we were at Spencer's place at the Singles, and, and I was drinking a boba tea, right? And, and Spencer goes, oh my gosh, that's where Matthew gets that. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck, you know? I'm just eating a sandwich. 
you know, well, what is this, you know? And my kids will say, you know, uh, my, my, my daughter and my son will say, oh, but mommy has such nice skin. How can we have daddy's skin, you know? <laughs> and mommy has nice big eyes, and, and daddy, you have small eyes. We have your eyes, small eyes. But daddy has long eyelashes, but how come we didn't get your long eyelashes, daddy? And daddy, you got allergies, and your, your toes are deformed, and, and, you know, we got your, your feet, you know? And, and I'm like, you know, I can't help that. I don't have much control over that. That's all genetics, you know. But what are the unique contributions that we as fathers can make for our family that only us can make for our father, for our children? See, in, in, in verse 24, uh, he says to uh, the Israelites, he says, this is, what, this, is what we're te- this is why we teach them. It says, he did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. See, that's, that's the goal. That's what fathers must do. That's why we must teach and be the example that we are. It's not so that our kids are gonna be hip and know all this stuff and, and all that kind of stuff. They don't need us to be hip. They need us to be the ones that show that, 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 that we have the fear of the Lord. It doesn't matter if, you know, I can't do anything about the allergies or the eyelashes, the eyes, but I can teach my children what it means to fear the Lord. I don't need to be more spiritual than my wife, which actually is a misnomer in terms of who's more spiritual. There's no such thing as who's more spiritual than the other sometimes. You don't have to be you know, a seasoned youth minister or, or, or a wonderful youth counselor. We love them, we praise God for them, and they play a part in our children's lives, a central part in our children's lives. But fathers, we don't need to be those things. We need to be a father who points our children to the fear of the Lord. To show what it means to, to say that this is what it means to fear the Lord. You know, there are three unique contributions that, that fathers give to, to their families. You know, when Rita and I was, when Rita, well, I say Rita and I was pregnant, no, Rita was pregnant. <laughs> I had nothing, I, 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 was, I was just holding her hand. <laughs> But Matthew, which is pregnant with Matthew, and I was reading this book. I actually read a lot of books. I read like you know, 20 books on fatherhood because I was like terrified. And, um, and, but one of the books actually was, was really profound. I don't even remember the title. But it said, um, I always share this with every father-to-be because I think this is like the biggest insight that I received from all the books that I read. And it said that, um, sorry, oh, I didn't put it in. It said, your child's view of God throughout their lives will be formed by the view of their father, okay? Your child's view of God throughout their lives will be formed by the view of their father. Because your father, even at such a young age, the idea that God is your heavenly father, that's gonna, there's an, there's an association there that's unmistakable, that influences your children. If your fathers are distant, if fathers are distant and hard to please, that will actually be the dominant view that your children will have of God. If, if as fathers, we are only around for the fun and easy part, but we're really passive when it comes to the hard stuff, then that's how our children will view God. They'll say, God's not around when things are hard, when I really need him. But if we are fathers are loving and forgiving and accepting 
If we're fathers who always value our children regardless of what they do, that's how they'll view God. If our father is consistent, as fathers, we're consistently good and just and filled with virtue, that's how they'll view God. If as fathers, we are the rock for our family in times of crisis, if we are worthy of honor, if we are the ones that, that our mom, our wives respect our authority and look to our authority, then that's what God will be to our children. Second thing, fathers, you will influence your children's view of spiritual leadership and authority. Dads, you are the earliest, most complete, most personal illustration of spiritual leadership to your children. It's the first thing they're going to see. It's the most they're going to see. It's going to be how they look at authority in general, how they treat authority in general, not just in terms of spiritually in the church, but in terms of school, in terms of workplace. What you do as a father and how you exhibit authority and how you as a leader treat those under your authority is going to have a profound effect on how your children respond to authority in the future. Is your leadership right now as a father, is it driven by pride and insecurity that we're always constantly saying, oh, you know, protecting our leadership, always a, a, a lashing out when we feel like that leadership or that authority is being threatened or questioned? Are we constantly, as fathers, demanding respect without earning it? Are we, as fathers, unwilling to admit when we are wrong or when we need help? Are we, as fathers, even a non-entity when it comes to authority in the house? See, this will be the view of authority being formed in the lives and the hearts of your children? Are we a strong yet humble leader? Do we step up to the plate when our wives need us? I mean, this is a big thing. I mean, we think of it as a little thing, but you know, when our wives are holding a lot of stuff and we don't go and open the door for them or we don't help them carry something, that says something about authority. That says something about, oh, well, the authority, they just walk forward and everybody's carrying. If, if we, you know, let the chair uh, for our wife to sit down first, if our wives, they look like they're, they're, they're really struggling with something, if we're there to come and actually help them, or if we're just there sitting and watching TV because we don't want to get up or whatever and our wife's struggling to carry something across the room, uh, this tells our children um, really what it means to be, uh, to be authority. And, and, and so this is, this is an issue, and even the very little things that we do in the home as we're these spiritual leaders, it will teach our children how they're to treat others. Uh, do we ask for forgiveness? Do we grant forgiveness when people come to us and say, I'm sorry? Or do we say, well, I told you so, you know, next time don't do it. Or do we just grant forgiveness and say, you know what? Daddy loves you, just have a hug here. Everything is good. We know it's hard. Do we pray? Do, do we speak God's word when important decisions need to be made? Do we talk about God and, say, and, and so that our kids know 
that, that, that it's not the world that is informing our decisions and backing up our authority, but it's the word of God. It doesn't matter if our wife is more, and, and many of us, our wife is more outspoken than we are as men, but we are the spiritual leaders. If you do not fulfill this role, it will affect your children's understanding of spiritual authority. They will carry it through again to the church, government, school, everything. Finally, your child's, how you act will be the greatest picture of what it means to be a godly man, a loving husband, and a good father. And you know someday your child's going to be a father or they may marry one. What will inform them of what is a good father or a good husband? You will. This is not something your wife can do. As spiritual as she is, your wife cannot do that. Pastor Kurt cannot do this. The counselors cannot do this. You are the one that will show them what a godly father and husband is in the home. And so the question is, will we show our children a facade of spirituality? That, oh, daddy acts this way in church, but he acts this way at home? Or will we show a living, breathing man of God who is consistent, who struggles with his faith, but they know his faith is real? When he walks with God at church, it is the same way that he walks with God at home. It is the same way that he walks with God at work. When he loves people in the church and treats them kindly, it is the same way that he loves people and treats people at home. In the same way, is that what we are going to be showing our children? Will we be uh, husbands who uh, will not try to always cover up our faults and our shortcomings, but really, again, just show this love of Jesus, uh, this desire to please Jesus with all of our hearts, no matter what, even when we fail, even when we have struggles. When, I was, when we were young parents, Rita used to tell me all the time, you know what, um, you got to be able to tell your kids you're sorry. And this was really hard for me. I was like, you know. And I wouldn't. She didn't, I, no. <laughs> um, but you know, you got to tell your kids you're sorry. That you have to actually tell them that you did something wrong. That that was wrong. And it was very hard for me. But these are things, again, as a father for pride, we've got to do it. To show this is, this is the type of father, this is the type of, of husband that we must be. Are you, you know, are you brave for your family? Will you stand there and protect your wife uh, uh, when something's happened? My, again, I'm sorry, a lot of confession here. There was one time when Reed and I were walking down the street and some homeless person came by her and I didn't stand between her and the homeless person, which I should have. I look back at it and Rita says, you know, I wish you had stood between me because I was scared. And for me, again, I was so used to living around so much homeless people that it didn't even strike me that this was a threat at all. I was just used to it. But Rita said, you know, you didn't, you didn't stand between me. You didn't do something. And I remember that, I go, you know, that's true. Even something very simple like that, that we as men, again, some men just oblivious. We don't even notice these things. But for me to stand between that person and, and my wife to show protection would make a huge statement to my children, 
to say this is what a, a husband does. This is what a father does when there's danger around. Uh, he protects his children. He's brave for his family. Um, uh, we show our children how we love our wives. We show our children, even in our fights, <laughs> even in our fights. Uh, again, Rita and I will say, okay, we, we showed our kids how to fight. We've got to show our kids how to make up. We've got to go back to, to the kids. They saw us fight. They saw us yelling at each other. Now we've got to go back and show them, okay, we made up and it's really late at night. They're asleep already. You know, they're little kids. But we've got to show them next morning that we made up. And we've got to show them that we love each other and that, that, that this, this argument has been settled and it's not something that's going to come up again that they're afraid of. And, and, and these are just, again, little things that I believe are very, very important that as fathers, um, we need that for our children to not be afraid of conflict and to know that when conflict happens that, that fathers know how to deal with it and will come back and, and show that, that the house is still a safe place where we can come together and mommy and daddy can still care for each other, love each other, and forgive each other so that these things are not going to happen or if they do happen again, they're not something to be afraid of as children. Um, we don't have to show our kids that we're perfect. We just have to show them that we want to learn. We want to grow. That these things are so important to us that we sacrifice things in order to become a godly husband, in order to be that godly husband for our family. It's not just, oh, I gave up my time to go to the soccer game because I know that this is important to you, that soccer is important to you. Uh, okay, good. My father, but I want my father to to make those sacrifices to really go and, and learn God's word. My goodness, he went to prayer meeting. He went, he was tired and he went to prayer meeting. Uh, he, he had a really tough day and he still went to Sunday school because he wants to learn and grow. And he's talking about it. And when he comes home from worship, he's excited about the fact that he learned these things. Show your kids, not that you're just perfect and you know all the answers. Show your kids that you want to be a man of God so badly that you will go and do these things. Even if mommy is more, clearly more spiritual than us, praise God, it's not a contest. But you show yourself that this is so important to you that you are going to, daddy's gonna work just as hard, he's gonna be praying just as hard, he's gonna be doing everything he can because this is important to him. This is the most important thing to him in his life. And I feel like that's the biggest thing to, to leave to our children is to say, hey, what is the most important thing in your life right now? That, that, that's, 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 that's the big thing. And for them to say, man, the most important thing in my life right now is, is God, is honoring Jesus. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what we want to hear. Well, I'm, we don't care if they say, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be the number one in my class or I'm going to be published or I'm going to invent these things. We want them to say at the, end of the, at the end of the day or when they grow up and when we let go of them to say, you know, Mom, Dad, I just want to please Jesus with all my heart. I want to love Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to follow and, and walk in his ways no matter what happens. That, that, that's what we want. That's, if, if our kids say that, we're good. We don't have to worry about anything else. We don't have to worry about they're going to be provided for. We don't have to worry about whatever. We're good. 
There's no greater wish, and men, there's no greater wish for our wives, of our wives, that we would be godly husbands and godly fathers. You ask your wife, what's the most important thing you want? What's the only thing, if I were to give you one thing, um, yeah, they would want a godly, they would want a godly husband and a godly father. Now, now I do want to say a few words uh, to those who um, do not have a husband or do not have a father or not a good example of a father. And I, I know that Father's Day may be a particularly painful time and a difficult time, but it is also an opportunity to create a new tradition today. It may be a time of reflection upon the fatherhood of God. And I want to read from this article, Father to the Fatherless. This is written by Jonathan C. Edwards, not the Jonathan Edwards, but Jonathan C. Edwards, who also, his father, left him. And he says, um, he says, A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say, what if our thoughts about our father are entangled and stained by abuse, abandonment of our earthly fathers? And he says, my father driving away shattered the one thing that I believe to be indestructible, and that is my family. Like a permanent smudge on the lens through which I see the world, the dissolution of my family distorts everything that I know and everything that I am. Our hearts beat out of rhythm. Our thoughts weigh heavier in our minds. Our tears flow faster. The voice that once calmed us in the middle of the night is now silent. And when advice seems too thin and life too cruel, God's word is the only reliable brush for the suffering, painting fresh strokes of God's character onto the marred canvas of our hearts and our experience. And he says, God draws near to the brokenhearted and he calls you his precious son and daughter. And here are four things that, that he says that we must always remember. He says, your father will never, your heavenly father will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. God the Father is committed to you. You will never have to ask whether he will stay or leave. For God promises, I will never leave you. The second thing, your father will always, your heavenly father will always protect you. His protection is unmoved. It never tires. And even though right now there may be discipline, there may be struggle, we know that God our Father will protect us and give us strength even through the most difficult disciplines, the most difficult dangers. God remains our source of safety and help and goodness and hope in these hard times. The third thing, your father 
Your heavenly Father always knows what you need. The Bible says, and my God will supply every need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God will always provide. His resources will never end. He will always delight in you. He will always give you everything that you need to not just to survive, but to prosper and thrive. And finally, your father takes great delight in you. Our heavenly father, he does not love us based on our performance. He does not love us based on our successes. He loves us because we are his children, because he created us. And we are precious in his sight, not because we are the best looking kid on the block or the smartest kid in the school or the most successful kid in the company we bring great delight to God because we are his children. And he wants to just be with us and enjoy us and remind us that we are the most valuable, most beautiful child in the world. And he will never leave us. And we will always be infinitely loved. This is what your heavenly father, our heavenly father says to each one of us. Let's go ahead and let's... let's Let's bow in prayer right now.